but we've got people in the church who are working nine to five or eight to six or, or and beyond, and they're still here in the evenings. They're still here putting in the work. And the so please do be praying for our volunteers. They are an amazing group of people. And uh, a church like ours doesn't get very far without uh, our great volunteers. So please be praying for them. Uh, there was some, yes, something else. The the men's night away in Galloway. Uh, um, Galloway is booked for Friday the 31st of May. So please, men, if you are interested in, in that, if the date suits, please sign up uh, and let us know that you're interested. If you're not going to stay the whole, whole uh, do the overnight thing, you're just going to come up, stay for the chat and the Chinese, that, that's fine. That's obviously not a problem. But if you want to stay, have a bed and have some, uh, a fry up in the morning, then we definitely still need to know uh, that you're coming. And please, just uh, it gives us the ability to, to organize that. Um, okay, I think that's everything. Scott, I'm going to hand over to you now.
Okay, folks, so we're turning to Luke chapter 8 this evening. And uh, again, just because, uh, uh, well, we're starting a new series uh, in a week's, uh, in two weeks' time. Um, uh, just, a, just a bit of a one-off look, I suppose, as we look at, no, we're going to look at a miracle of Jesus, but the focus isn't really going to be on the miracle. The focus is going to be on the reaction to the miracle. And... Um, because it seems that Jesus gives everybody what they want, except the one person who wants Christ the most. So it's a very sort of a strange setup. So we'll go to Luke chapter 8, and we'll start in at verse 22. One day he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So he's traveling from one side of the Sea of Galilee on the west coast over to the east coast. It's about eight miles of, of, of a seal. So they set out, and as they sail, sail, sailed, yep, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake. Now, these storms are notorious. They are scary. They are big. They are bad. Uh, and they were filling with water. They were in danger. These are seasoned fishermen. They are in danger. They're struggling. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Okay, so look, this isn't the miracle that we're going to be looking at. This is the journey to where the miracle will happen. And it's never an accident that Jesus is teaching them something just before they need to apply this lesson. That he's wanting them to be conscious of something very important. I am here. I am with you. Therefore, you do not need to be afraid. Put your trust in me, not your circumstances. Don't be afraid because the presence of Jesus changes things. That's the lesson. Trust me over the circumstances. A lesson that they're going to need once they get to the shoreline. The presence of Jesus changes things. They sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons for a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Remember, What's the lesson? The presence of Jesus changes things. It's that simple as a lesson you can get, but boy, it's an important lesson. Here we find at least one man. Matthew indicates that there was another man with him, but he doesn't get a speaking part, and for some reason, the other Gospels don't include him. But he is a demon who's come into his life and, and had his life destroyed by this demon. Now, we can assume by the fact that uh, Jesus, at the end of this passage, tells him to go back to his own home, tells us that perhaps he is of a certain age where he can own a, his property. He probably then had a trade. He probably had a wife. He probably had a family. And it's been all been abandoned. There's a wife and, a ch and maybe children without a father, without a husband. There, there's a, a, a workshop empty because he's abandoned it. Because they haven't got near him. Because Legion, this demon who's in him, has been attacking them. And he seems to be prone to violence, and he seems to spend his time naked. It's not something you, if you have a child, you're going to expose him to. And so he's been ostracized. He's on the outside of the town. He's on the outside of society. And the people in the town seem to have tried chaining him up, locking him away, out of sight, and therefore out of mind. They'd forgotten that deep down in there, there was a man that needed help. And we were talking about that this morning when we were talking about the sanctity of life and, and the importance to, to fight and to stand for the voiceless and to be a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows, because that's who our God is. God sees the weak, he sees the helpless, he sees those in need. And we're coming across someone who society has completely kicked out and abandoned. And yet Jesus, 
has seemed to make a beeline for him. Jesus arrives on the scene, and that's when things begin to change. And something that we need to remember is that this is all tied in with prayer. Things change when Jesus is present. But Jesus is present when we pray because we go into his presence. And and there's three prayers in this scene. And so I want you to see these prayers, and we're going to learn something from these three prayer meetings that happened in and around Legion. The first one is in verse 32. Jesus asked him, the, the, the man with the demon, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to go to let them enter these. And so he gave them permission, and the demons came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. The first prayer is from the demons, from Legion to Jesus himself. Now, maybe your Bible will say, allow us or permit us or suffer us. Here in the ESV version up on the screen, it simply says, let us. They begged Jesus to not send them into the abyss. Legion had not taken notice of anyone prior to this. He had dominated this man. He wasn't interested. He hind- nothing hindered his plans until Jesus arrived. Satan, the demons stopped. Satan his demons are thieves. John 10 tells us that the enemy is like a thief and trying to steal our joy and steal our hope and rob us of anything that is good and godly in our lives. And you'll know that there, there is, when, whenever some, something that is evil and bad grips someone. It's take something like an, an addiction, how it can strip someone away of anything that is good and godly, and it all just so contaminates. And yet, we have someone who can bring us life, hope that is found in a Savior, someone who has come to bring life to the fullest. That's John 10. There's a thief that's come to to steal and to destroy. But I have come to give life and to give life to its fullest. And so I think all things considered, we have a picture of a man who is a wee bit like the disciples before on the boat. They needed a savior. Things were out of control. They needed someone to step in. They were afraid. They, They thought they were going to die. This man had been possessed by a number of demons who had given themselves the name Legion because there were many. It's incredible, this wild man who couldn't control himself, whose actions were completely influenced by the demons. In the words of Mark, they worshiped Jesus. They came to him and bowed down before him as soon as they saw him. And they recognized exactly who he was, Jesus, son of the most high God. They knew who they were working with. And they prayed, asking that they wouldn't be cast into the abyss. They don't say save us. They don't say rescue us. They don't say help us. But the demons know that they don't serve God or they don't expect blessings from God. They simply say, don't cast us out into the abyss. The abyss literally meaning hell. Don't send us back to hell. Don't send us back into the darkness. Don't send us back into that void. Don't send us back to that place of torment. They never seem to be interested in a place called heaven. They don't seem to be in love or to be interested in love. They don't seem to be interested in forgiveness. They simply know hell, and they hate the place of hell. I think it's really interesting that even the demons don't want to go to hell. Even the demons hate being there and say, no, please don't send us back to that place. Don't send us back to the abyss. I think that's really interesting. It tells you a lot about hell, I think. Legion is fully aware more than anyone else in the story of who Jesus is. They come in fear, they come in trembling, and the response in seeing him is, don't give us what we deserve. Don't destroy us, suffer us, allow us, show us grace, show us mercy, allow us to go in to the herd of pigs. So how does Jesus respond to a prayer from a demon? Don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that's exactly what this is happening here. There's a demon praying to Jesus. What's Jesus going to do to a prayer from a demon? He answers the prayer. Legion is, is, comes out of the man and goes into the herds of pigs. 
Now, it's a wonderful follow-on, I think, from the storm, from the boat. Having been through the storm, Jesus calms the storm and saying, peace, be still. And now he rescues this demon-possessed man. And Matthew says that he calmed the storm within him by saying one word, go. So it's interesting. I think it's really interesting that Jesus changes things when he shows up. The presence of Jesus changes things, and he specializes in calming storms, whether they be meteorological ones or metaphorical ones. He calms the storm. Jesus answers the prayer of a demon. Keep a note of that in your head, because let's go on. Verse 34, when the herdsmen, could you imagine the day that they're having? They're chilling out, drinking a bit of coffee, maybe talking football scores or something, I don't know. And next thing you know, the pigs disappeared down the hill. When they saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. And they're afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And so he got into the boat and returned. We're told these men looking after the pigs, funnily enough, they felt the need to report this to their boss. Could you imagine that conversation? Boss, um, remember that one thing you asked us to do? You mean look after the pigs? Yeah, about that. Um, they're all dead. What? <laughs> and they said, it was this, this guy, he was talking to the crazy guy, and then the pigs just went mad. It was him, I swear, it, was, it wasn't us. It's a very strange conversation to have with your boss. And so the employer, this pig owner, goes to get his money worth. He wants his pound of flesh, and there's a lot of pigs. Mark tells us 2,000 pigs. 2,000 pigs is a lot. So it tells us a couple of things. Number one, we're not dealing with Jewish people, okay? This area that they've sailed into, the Gerasenes, is, is the area of, called Decapolis. They're mainly Greek-thinking people, Greek-thinking, uh, a Greek culture of people. And, and so they're having pigs because they're not Jewish. They don't care about the kosher laws. They don't care about all that. They're all into their bacon buddies and their pork chops. I'm with these guys. And so not for the first time in Christ's ministry, there's a mob formed. They don't like what he's doing. How dare you do this? Where do you get off Jesus doing things like this here? And so here's the second prayer. These unbelieving, these Greek thinking people say, praying, get out of here, Jesus. Leave us. We don't want you here. And it's really sad. We know that God owns everything. So we could be very dismissive and say, well, sure, he owns the cow on a thousand hills. He can do what he wants with pigs. Who cares? But that's not really the contrast we should be making here. What we should be saying is, here is someone who has got healed in this story, and he's worth a lot more than any amount of pigs. We spent this morning talking about the sanctity of life and how valuable life is from womb right to tomb. And it's all precious in the sight of God. Any number of pigs is worth, worth killing to save a man. These people should have came to Jesus, seen what was going on, and seen these two men sitting clothed in the right mind and rejoiced. They should have thrown a party. Christians should throw more parties. Christians should be people who celebrate. Read the Old Testament. Do you know what's something that they do a lot? They have feasts. Do you know what feasts were? They were parties. They were celebrations. Christians should have more parties. We should celebrate more, especially when God is at work and changing people's lives. We should party. We should celebrate. And there, there's a selfishness here. And we find in our society, in our churches, when Jesus shows up and changes things. And sometimes that means it's going to cost. Because we don't like it when Jesus changes things. Because it's Northern Ireland. We don't like change. And it's amazing how many people long for Jesus to show up. And then they just hate it when he starts changing things. Because Jesus tends to start by saying, okay, Jeff, I've showed up. Now I need you to change. Go, no, 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 Jesus, that, that, that wasn't the plan. I wanted you to come because I wanted you to fix all my problems. He goes, yeah, I'm going to sort that out. I'm going to sort you out. No, 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 Jesus, that, just sort them out. Sort everybody else out. I'm fine. Isn't that usually how it goes? 
Jesus changes things, but so often that means he'll start by changing our hearts first and foremost. You know? Hey, let's pray for the gay community. <laughs> but I'm not going to talk to them. Mm-mm, no way. Right? Let's pray for those caught up in modern-day trafficking and slavery. <laughs> but we're going to pretend that Northern Ireland isn't one of the biggest hotbeds in Europe for that kind of carry-on right now. Let's pray for our local community that aren't saved, but I'm not going to invite anybody to church. <laughs> they might say no. Lord, change things, but I don't want anything to change. See the conflict here? See the problem here? And here's the ultimate response that comes from this kind of thinking. We find it in this mob. They no doubt were impressed by the miracle. They saw it. They recognized what happened. But instead of being in awe, they were afraid. And they were angry at the cost of the local economy, at the cost of what was going on. And they said, you know what? No thanks. We're not buying what you're selling. Jesus, our prayer, our request, our demand, verse 37, leave. It's easier just things to take over the way they are without this kind of carry-on. How would Jesus respond to such a prayer? He's answered the prayer of a demon. We think, well, look, Jesus, here's your chance. Kill the enemy. Get rid of them. And he answers the prayers of an unbelieving crowd, even though they're in the wrong. Jesus, we don't need you. Jesus, we don't want you. No, no, you're wrong. You, you, you do need him. <laughs> you should want him. But Jesus says, okay, and he moves on. He goes back to the ship and is getting back to sail in Capernaum where he'll heal the woman with the bleed and raise Jairus' daughter. And this is where we meet, read that this man who's been healed chases after him and says, Jesus, take me with you. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home. Declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Here is our third prayer in this passage. Here's a man healed, restored, touched by Jesus, and is longing to follow after him, become a disciple. Join that group of men. Take me with you. I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to follow you, Jesus. Where you're going, I want to go. Where you're leading, I want to lead. Take me with you, Jesus. Now you remember, Jesus had rejected the request of the rich young ruler. He says, look, if you want to follow me, you have to sell everything you have, and then come back and then follow me. Well, here's a man who hasn't seen his wife, who hasn't had his job, hasn't been home. Maybe he's got kids. I don't know. I'm suggesting maybe he's kids. Maybe he hasn't seen his kids. And he says, look, I'm not going to go back and see him. I'm not going to go back to my life. I'm not going to. I want to follow you. Take me with you. He's prepared to do what the rich young ruler wasn't prepared to do. He's meeting the criteria, so surely Jesus should let him go. I mean, surely to goodness, Jesus would answer this prayer. Here's a Savior who has answered the prayer of a demon. He's answered the prayer of an unbelieving, hateful crowd. So we read, of course, then in verse 38 and verse 39, that Jesus sends him away, sending him back to his family. He rejects the prayer. Well, he did answer it. He just didn't say yes. He said no. The answer was no. But it's a good prayer, isn't it? Jesus, can I walk with you? Jesus, can I be one of the disciples? Jesus, can I be part of this crowd? Jesus says, no. No, you can't. Go back home. I'm sending you away. I'm sending you back home. And in fact, Jesus is really saying, like, I'm moving on in my ministry. But these people that I'm leaving behind, these people who are sending me away need someone to proclaim my truth here. You have been healed. You have been transformed. You've been restored. Go back to your family. Go back to your kids. Go back and be my witness there. And so Jesus says, look, I'm not going to grant your request. Rather, I have a greater task for you. Be a light for me in your own house, in your own town. After all, you've been through here Maybe the easiest thing to do would be to walk away, to run away from the past, to run away from the shame, to run away and try and find a fresh start somewhere else. But stay, Jesus says, stay and be a trophy of grace that is beyond any doubt. And then that leads us to perhaps the world's shortest ever discipleship course for a new believer. 
return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Step number one for a new believer, make it right. Go back to the people that you've wronged. Go back to the people that you've hurt because of your sin. This man spent a long time terrorizing the area that he lived in. I don't know how long exactly he's been in the tombs. I don't know if all the kids sang songs about him or they were too terrified to go or they dared each other. It seems that he was too dangerous for that. They, they had to chain him up. So I don't think kids were in and around it. But I don't know what damage he had done to the town before they sent him away, before they chained him up. I, I, we don't know that information. But I think it's fair to say that now as a new convert, we could all say, well, look, that really wasn't his fault. It was Legion's fault. It was the demon's fault. It wasn't his fault. It would be very hard regardless to go back into that time. You know, the man's been naked for, for a long time. Way bit hard to show your face, as it were, back in the time. And everybody's saying, hmm, nice to see you again. Nice to see a wee bit less of you. Hard to look people in the eye. Hard to strike up a conversation whenever they've seen you do unspeakable things. Maybe you've acted violently, you have lashed out. You've made threats, you've damaged property. You've very hard to go back to face them, to live among them, to try and reestablish your business in that area whenever they all know who you are and what you've done. The easiest thing certainly to do when you've messed up is to walk away, run away. Then everyone can just move on. And I think part of Christ's motivation in keeping him in this area was for him to redeem himself to the people. Christ has redeemed him from Satan. But now he has to go and be a blessing specifically to the people he's been a burden to. Mission starts at home for a reason. Because it starts by others seeing the difference that Christ can make in our life. I love that we've been able to take teams to Croatia the last two summers. It's been really good, I think, for the people who have gone. I know the people in Croatia have been blessed by us going. And even in summers before that, we've had people going to the Czech Republic. We've had people in Uganda and Italy and India and Malta and Scotland. But there, there, there is a reason why, as a church this year, we're not pushing international mission. There's a reason why this year we're more interested in what we can do locally and in about our area. Because the real call for Christians is to be Christians here where they are, in their home. To be salt and light here. Foreign mission is good. It's good to expose us to what God is doing in different parts of the world. But it sometimes can be a bit of a cheap excuse, a bit of a cop-out. It says, well, I don't have to do anything here because, you know, I, I, I spoke a few, to a few people a thousand miles away. So I don't have to try so hard here. That's not what mission is. That's not what being a Christian is. For this man, it was going to be harder than just sailing off into the sunset as a disciple. He was going to have to go and face up to the damage his life had caused and live face to face with the people who knew his shame. But that's where the power lay. He was going to go back and by the testimony of his transformed life, he would prove the power of Jesus. He would prove the power of the gospel. There will always be people who will debate theology, even though if they don't really like theology. They'll, they'll love to ask about science and genetics and big bang theories, and they'll love to argue all the different doctrines about how many angels will dance on the top of a fingernail or whatever it happens to be. But what people can't argue with is the power of a transformed life. There's someone. He used to be like that, but now he's like that. Argue with that. You want, you want to see what God can do? Then, then look at the life that God can change. Look at what God can do whenever you hand it over to him. It's hard to argue with that. It's hard to argue with that. And trust me when I say it, there is nothing harder than going back to the place of your shame, to the people who know what we were like once upon a time, but nothing, nothing, nothing is as powerful as them seeing the difference in your life now. No sermon, 
no preacher, no theses, nothing is as powerful as seeing the evidence right before you. And I know it seems so awkward. <laughs> Jeff, you've no idea. There's no way I can step foot into that house again. There's no way I can go hang out with those people again. They are people who know me too well. But I think Jesus' advice to this young convert was, those same people are the people who can be impacted the most by seeing that it was real. Make it right. Number two, go invite. Don't just go back, but go back and declare what God has done. They can see the difference in your life by how you're living, the fact that you're, you know, you're clothed, you're not wailing people around the head with chains or, or anything like that there or living in tombs. People can see your life, but they also are to hear about what God has done. There's this two things. People should see it, but they should also hear it. At this moment in time, the people of the uh, Gezerines were more concerned about the pigs that had just died than the man who's just been healed. It's a really sad picture of where they were as, as a community. Now, they're not Jewish. They're suspicious of Jewish people like Jesus and his disciples who are coming their way. And they're scared. But when people are scared, what's the one thing that we tend to do? We try to put as much distance as we can between us and the thing that scares us. And so they send Jesus away. For this, for the, this crowd, this was just too much. They were just freaking them out. They had to get out of there. And they might have been able to handle a little bit of preaching. But when Jesus started changing lives and costing them money, they didn't want anything to do with him. So they drove him away. There's still a lot of people like that around today. Just give them a Sunday morning service and they're satisfied. Or maybe, you know, if we're lucky, we might see them on a Sunday night. But, you know, don't ask them to do more than that. Don't ask people to get involved. Don't ask them to... Because whenever we start saying, okay, right, now get involved, now start doing things, now start giving up your time, get involved, come to small groups, start investing, start in. And actually, what will happen is they'll push back and say, you know what, we'll not come back. And we've seen that. There's been people who have left the church because they just wanted a nice lesson, they didn't want to grow. They didn't want Christ to change them. So many people just want enough of Jesus to make them feel good and to keep them out of hell. But sadly for them, that's not the Jesus in the Bible. Jesus, by his definition, Jesus, by his nature, is a, is a life-transforming Savior. You cannot be saved and remain the same. He wants more than just a few hours a week. He wants everything you have and everything you are to be laid on the altar of surrender. Which is why before people get saved, they say to them, are you, are you sure? Do you, are, are you, is this sure? Are you definite? Is this something that you want to do? Because this is not going to be easy. It's going to cost. And there are people who say, oh, well, I'll maybe need to think about it. Good. Good. Uh, um, uh, that's got me in trouble sometimes. Saying, Jeff, you let them get away. Okay, it's not, I'm not hunting deer, okay? It's, it's different. If someone is going to change their life, they need to know what they're getting into. And it's something that can cost. If we don't do that, if we teach our children that being a Christian is just about praying a prayer, and then that's it. And then we live out our lives by showing them that there's other things more important than worship, there's other things more important than the things of God, then don't be surprised whenever they get to a certain age, whenever they walk away, because it was never real to them. It's because they didn't see any realness in it. These people didn't want anything to do with it. It was going to cost too much. These people had enough of Jesus impacting them for the time being, and so they move him on. Sometimes there's a right time to share the gospel and a right time to move along. And Jesus knew that this, this door was closing for him, and so he chose to leave the people, but he didn't leave them with nothing. He left them with a testimony. It's important for a new convert to make amends for past sin 
and prove his salvation through his lifestyle. But you know, this guy could have done this in one day. Right? These towns weren't big. These cities weren't big. People would have got, people say, hey, you know that crazy guy out there? He's better now. That's kind of news that travels fast. And so in the space of a day, he surely could have got around everyone and says, look, I'm better now. I'm sorry. Jesus did this. You know, the word could have got around very quickly. It wouldn't have taken very long. He says, Jesus, listen, you sail across. I'll catch up with you in two, three days. I'm going to let everybody know. But here's what Jesus knows about mission. And it's something that you need to know about mission. There are people that you can reach that I can't reach. Some people will never step foot in a church regardless of what special service we put on. They'll never hear me preach. To me, that's a grace. We shouldn't, you know, they're lucky. Which means, though, by default, there are some people whose life that you can impact that I will never be able to impact. Likewise, there are some people in my life none of you will ever be able to reach. It'll only be me. Bible tells us that we're to be fishers of men. My net will catch some fish, yours come. And there's some fish that you're better positioned to reach. Like your neighbors, the people that you work with. You're in a better position to reach them than I am. You're in a better position to reach your family than I am. I'm better positioned for my neighbors, for my family. And so Jesus says to this man, go back to your neighbors. Go back to your family. Go back and reach the people right at the side of your neck. Go back to your wife. Go back to your children. Go back to your workmates and reach them. Let them see the difference, but tell them. And so this guy, he's got no training. He's he's been saved like half an hour. He's got no theology seminars, no Bible college degree, but he knew what he had experienced. We can talk all we want about how we've only spent a few minutes at this faith of Savior, but some of us spend years studying the Word, and we never get around to actually reaching anyone. Jesus wants his converts to be people who invite others. Come and see what Jesus has done. Come and see what he's done for me, and come and see what he can do for you. Go back, make it right. Go back and invite people. Number three, go back and there's a promise that they'll reunite. I spoke a wee bit on this last week and I'm I'm not going to repeat myself again, but when you go to the book of Mark, this story takes place in Mark chapter five. Okay, kind of different sequence of things, but uh, Mark chapter five. But then in chapter seven of Mark, we read that Jesus is traveling back through this area. Now, people will debate about the difference, different length of time between chapter five and chapter seven, but there's been a certain amount of time. And Jesus is coming back into this area of Decapolis, and there is a crowd coming out of the cities to meet him. Now, I cannot say with any certainty at all, but this man goes back, tells the people what he has done, tells them of Jesus. I, I have this funny feeling, and maybe it's just my sort of romantic kind of thought process or kind of storytelling brain. I don't know. But I have this funny feeling that when the crowd of people come out to follow Jesus, then they come out to meet him, I have this belief that this man who was healed by Le- from Legion was at the front of the pack leading them and saying, I told you, here he is. Here's the one who healed me. Here's the one who rescued me. Here's the one who saved me. Here's the one who did this amazing thing for me. And they got reunited. Let me finish with a challenge. When Jesus does come back, and it is a day that will come suddenly, it is a day that will come unexpectedly, when that day does come, will we be able to run to Jesus and say, look at the people that I've brought with me. Look at the people I've brought with me. Look at the people that I've told They're the people I've convinced by how I've lived my life, by how I spoke about you. Look at the people that I have brought. 
three prayer meetings. He showed grace to the undeserving, the demons. He showed respect to the people who were disrespectful, the, the townspeople. And he commissioned the most qualified, the man who got it. I was going to say he qualified the least qualified, but actually he didn't. He, he, he called the most qualified because he was the man who was in that town, in that village, who knew the people, who knew their names. He was the most qualified to reach them. And how did he commission it? Go make it right. Go make amends. Go invite. Be a witness. Tell them about me. And then one day I'll come back and we'll reunite. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your ways are not our ways. Lord, we would have dealt with legion differently than how you would have. We would have dealt with the townspeople differently to how you would have. Lord, we would have dealt with this young convert differently than what you did. And yet when we pause and we look at it and we try to understand why there's such majesty in how you do this, Lord. Lord, we thank you that your ways are not our ways. Lord, I pray that those of us who have had our lives changed and transformed by you, Lord, that people would see it, Lord, that we would be unafraid for the people who know our shame to see our salvation. And Lord, we pray that they might be changed also. Lord, that when that day comes and we are reunited and we see each other face to face, Lord, without any boasting or bragging or pride in myself, I'd be able to say, Lord, look at the people who I've brought with me. And Lord, I pray that this would be a church that would be an inviting church, that those who visit, yes, would feel warm and welcomed and, and, and all that. That's, yes, Lord, we want that. But Lord, that when we leave here, we don't talk about our church as much as we talk about you. And we want to invite people to you, to see you, to know you. And Lord, that our lifestyle and our speech, Lord, would reflect the joy of knowing you. That people could see that it's real. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen.